Hey guys, so before I go into today's episode of the podcast, I just want to make an announcement. So if you are new to the podcast or if you've been listening to the beginning, thank you so much for taking the time out to listen to this. But I just want to make a special announcement that my first ever book is going to be coming out on the 3rd of December 2021. And The title of the book is The No-Nonsense Approach to Female Fat Loss and this is something that has been brewing for quite a while and it's something that I'm very, very passionate about and inside the book you'll be kind of looking at how to understand your menstrual cycle, how to understand your cravings, when to push your training, when to ease off your training, how to train and eat during your pregnancy and train around it, PCOS, how to understand endometriosis, amenorrhea, which is lack of a cycle. The pill is beneficial. What type of pill is more beneficial? Does it does it impact your sex drive? We talk about perimenopause and menopause, and we talk about thyroid, and there's many other topics that we talk about. So it's fairly in depth. It's going through every single stage uh, that a woman can go through, and it's fairly in depth. A lot of research, a lot of effort's been put into it. So I'm super super excited to announce that the book is available for pre-order through the link in the episode notes and it will be available through the link in my bio on Instagram at Shane Walsh Fitness or if you want to head over to shanewalshfitness.com forward slash pre-order the book and you can get all the details there. It will be available on Amazon from the 3rd of December as well which I'm super super excited for so I hope you guys enjoy the episode, hope you guys enjoy the book. Any questions on the book let me know but I'm super super excited and hope you guys get a copy welcome to the next episode of the shame watch podcast today is episode 223 and i am delighted this was probably one of those episodes uh, that this could have gone on for hours and hours and hours and probably could be like a mini series on its own the amount of stuff that we went in through so today's episode is with a very special guest called orla o'flaherty so i came across orla through brian Keane's podcast and she's recently been on a another great friend of mine um, Mary Jo McGuire or MJ Nutrition on Instagram and Orla is a herbalist and a naturopath and she's already graduated from CNM UK in Ireland in 2015. Uh, she is the presenter of Orla's Happy Hormones podcast which comes out every week helping women to gain more knowledge about their body's hormones and sacred selves and she has a clinic in Salt Hill and in Galway in Ireland and she opened that up in 2015 and had to adapt during the last little while because of the the, the way things that were going on and she talks about she works with a lot of people from health issues IBS anxiety using herbal formulas for their for individual side of things and she had her own kind of issues with kind of trauma and she has gone through studying psychotherapy herself and kind of natural remedy courses but this is this episode's really really interesting and there's a lot of kind of information for i think a lot of women that are going to see uh, a massive change in how they actually perceive themselves and it's not it's not their fault so we talk about in this episode pmdd what it is and how common it is unfortunately and the support networks that are out there and how to work around it we also talk about the three most common myths we see about pms and what we want to get rid of we also talk about the top three supplements for PMS that Orla recommends. And also, to put a caveat, it is very, very girl dependent. We talk about is it in relation to are you actually feeling horny or is it a lack of connection? And this one is a fascinating part of the podcast. And it's Orla herself ran a social experiment during lockdown to see exactly what it was. Was it horny or is it a lack of connection? And then we talk about the, the importance of empathy, the fact that it's not your fault we also talk about kind of like the advice to someone out there who is looking to come off the pill what to expect the foods and supplements to advise alternative methods that are out there is the pull out method the best method the answer is probably not and then when is the pill the right option i talk about hj and hypothetical amenorrhea as well and if you want to go into more detail go over to the sarah liz king episode on that but i'm hoping to have orla back on she's incredible and i hope you guys enjoyed the episode with orla Orla, how are we? Hello, Shane. How are you? I'm very good. So, Orla, I'm going. I've been following you for a while. I know you're on Brian's Keens twice, and you're on a friend of my Mary Jo's last week. I think or the week before. Um, yeah, yeah. So, it was so I'm going to get you to introduce yourself and kind of talk about how you kind of got into this this realm that you're in. Yeah, no bother. Um, though it's funny, it's 
like I've been on a few podcasts and I always get asked to give a little introduction about myself and I'm always like I hate the 30 second <laughs> elevator pitch I hate it <laughs> but uh so I'm a herbalist and a naturopath um I'm based in Galway and I fell in love with natural medicine at a very young age so I grew up in a household where we were very much into alternative medicine um or holistic medicine complementary medicine whatever it is that you want to call it I, we've always used both um I was very ill as a teenager um mentally uh mentally and emotionally I was unfortunately misdiagnosed with uh clinical depression whereas in fact it was actually hormonal conditions that I had which we found out uh later down the line so I well a couple of years three years later found out that I actually had some severe gynecological problems and it was in finding out all that and going down different routes of loads of different medications um, that unfortunately I would have had a lot of adverse side effects to. Um, and then finding kind of the complementary approach. So my parents found a herbalist in Clare when I was 16 and we went down there and it was that kind of opened up a huge I hope not a huge, but a whole new world for us, as in looking at, okay, what else can we do here to, to support and, and, and pull me back? And it was when I saw the benefits of using herbal medicine, nutrition, and homeopathy. Homeopathy was a huge player for me as a teenager. And how we, when we saw how these worked for me personally, I realized that, okay, this is actually something that I want to do. I, I feel like I need to go down this line. I need to learn all I can about holistic, <clears throat> holistic and complementary medicine. And as well, I need to learn all I can about hormones and about uh, mental and emotional well-being. So I've, I started studying. So like I knew I always wanted to go down this road. Um, I just never knew exactly which modality I was going to take. And then I went off traveling for a while and came back and decided, right, that's it. I'm going to, I'm, I'm choosing herbal medicine, even though I studied psychotherapy for a couple of years beforehand. But at the time, I felt like it wasn't enough to help people that I needed to be doing more. Hindsight is 2020 vision because now I'm looking back. I'm like, I need to finish that psychotherapy degree. Um, but when we when I came back, I decided to, to choose herbal medicine and naturopathy and nutrition and to really see what, how we can help, um, how I could help other people and be it physically, emotionally. But because my world has always been based around hormones, as in, so with the <clears throat> endometriosis and um, then I discovered a few years ago that I have an overactive thyroid and um, in, enlarged goiter or yeah, in, in, sorry, an enlarged thyroid, which is known as a goiter. And looking back then, we got the old, my old medical records and saw that I actually had an overactive thyroid from the age of 14. So that was actually a huge um, player in my mental and emotional well-being as a teenager. So hormones have been my life and I've dedicated as much as I can to trying to understand them because hormones are so complex. It's like, have you ever seen the movie? Now I'm going to show my age. Um, the movie, The Labyrinth. Yes. You know, with David yeah, Bowie, yeah. It, yeah. yeah, it's like one of my all time favorites as a kid. But I'm like, that is literally what the endocrine system is like. And there's David Bowie in there he, and he's, he's throwing hairballs left, right and center. But um, yeah, so hormones have just kind of become my life. And I, I love working with them and I love working with people. And even just because as a naturopath, the, the first thing that we're taught that we were taught in college was as a naturopath, you're a teacher. You have to educate people on their own health. And I I completely agree with that because if there's like the, the age old saying, it's give a man a fish and he'll eat, teach a man to fish and he'll never go hungry. If you can teach people about how their bodies work, about how their hormones work, it's, it's a game changer for them. So for me, my job first and foremost is trying to help people understand how, how their bodies are working and that even when it comes to mental and emotional problems, a lot of the times people are told that it's all in their head. And I'm like, technically it is in your head, but that's because it's your hormones. It's like your, your, your hypothalamus and your pituitary glands are sending yeah. signals down to your adrenals to send off all the, the stress hormones, your stress response. So technically 
they're right, but there is a physiological response too. And that's my first tangent and I'll, I'll rein it in. <laughs> Sorry. But it's fun, like, like as we were talking off air about kind of like the, the whole side of things, that, uh, like different lockdowns and all this kind of stuff. Like, I don't think people realize how much of an impact the psychological impact of of lockdowns are actually having on their hormones yeah. and their overall health. Have you seen a massive shift in that in the last kind of 18 months? Huge shift. Um, the the amount of women who are coming to me where their periods are all over their place, they're, they're having irregular cycles or else they're having extremely painful periods, their PMS, PMDD, everything has gone through the roof. And the reason for this is because of cortisol. That is our main stress hormone. And for me as a herbalist and naturopath, I always, yes, I do do symptomatic treatment to a degree, but I'm always looking for the root cause. And what I've seen in the last 18 months, it's stress, it's stress, stress, stress. And people, they're trying to be positive and they're like, look, we're all in this together and we're in the same boat and da, da, da. And I'm like, we're not really, we're in the same storm, but we're all in different boats because we all have different lives and we all have different coping mechanisms. And we also don't know what's going on behind closed doors in an awful lot of people's lives. And that's playing a huge role. So I understand trying to be positive, but sometimes the the false positivity is stopping you from actually realizing, shit, we've really gone through something huge here. And it, it is like a global pandemic. Like we're basically looking at, like when you look at say reproduction in itself, um, we go back to wars, famines, plagues, women's reproductive cycles would switch off purely because it wasn't a safe time to procreate. It wasn't a safe time to reproduce. We're in a pandemic. It's basically a plague. So it, it's it's the same. And people forget that. They forget that this is a huge global event that has having massive repercussions on our psychological health, our emotional well-being and our overall physical health as well. I think you, it's a nice little segue into the first question. You mentioned the the four four initials of PMDD. Can you kind of talk about like what PMDD is and kind of any advice that you have used either yourself or with, with other clients in relation to dealing with PMDD? Because I think it's one of those things that it isn't spoken about an awful lot. And it's there's a lot of stigma attached to kind of like the mental health side of things, particularly for women. Cause like, Oh, yeah. she's just on her cycle. That's not what it is. No. And that. Even that just frustrates me so much. Yeah. And because like when you think about it, right, our hormone, we are our hormones. Like all of our body's functions are dictated by different hormones, not just our reproductive hormones, but our stress hormones, our sleep cycle hormones, our digestive hormones. Like hormone, we are our hormones. But that's not to say that we can fob women off for being in a low mood, it's like, oh, they're hormonal, they're on their period or whatever. When we're looking at PMDD, PMDD is, so that's, it's premenstrual dysphoric disorder. It's basically PMS, which is premenstrual syndrome on steroids. And it's way up here and it's not talked about enough. And there, there isn't a lot of awareness. And only recently somebody, so I do a Q&A on Instagram and somebody asked me about uh, PMDD. The amount of messages I got in asking what's PMDD and because I'm so used to hearing, and this was my own ignorance, um, because I'm so used to hearing about it, I forgot to put up the definition of PMD or the, the, the real term for PMDD. But PMDD is caused predominantly from low progesterone. And the reason why we have low progesterone, a couple of different factors. One, either you're not ovulating because we produce progesterone in uh, the structure, what's known as the corpus luteum. So that's a structure that's left behind after ovulation. So if you're not ovulating, you're not, you're not creating the corpus luteum. Therefore, you're not creating enough progesterone. We also do create progesterone in our adrenal glands as well, but just it's a very small amount. But then the other hormone that's created within our adrenal glands is cortisol, which is, again, is that stress hormone. And when you have too much cortisol, it's stripping your progesterone away. When we're looking at progesterone, progesterone is our, it's our happy hormone and what makes us feel really calm, very zen-like very chilled out and when that's low and estrogen is way too high so like estrogen and progesterone they're like a weighing scales they kind of they tend to balance each other out but if progesterone is low estrogen can keep rising and it's having that excess estrogen because of the low progesterone that's causing these really 
really poor mental health issues, um, like the anxiety, depression, low mood, suicidal thoughts. Like suicidal thoughts is one of the main symptoms of PMDD. And it, it happens predominantly from um, when you should be ovulating right up to your period. For some women, they the symptoms will start the possibly the week after their period has ended. So they have one week where they feel emotionally well, but they're physically drained because they're after having their periods, they're after bleeding, they're after losing an awful lot of energy. And then they're going straight back into not feeling like themselves. And now there's a different, it's not even not feeling like yourself. It, it's more than that. You, you feel like a completely different person yeah. and you feel like you're going insane and crazy. And you know when it's PMDD because once your period starts, once that bleed starts and you get the drop in hormones, all of a sudden you're like, oh, I'm me. I, I feel normal. I'm not crazy and I can think and I can function. Whereas with PMDD, it's it's so disruptive in life. And, and like that. So, yeah, the causes are predominantly the low progesterone, but there's many different factors that can um that can, what's the word that can contribute to it. So one of the studies which I've been looking into a lot recently is trauma. Trauma is a huge player when it comes to PMDD, um, in particular, physical abuse, emotional, mental abuse, sexual abuse, in particular, sexual, sexual abuse is a huge one um, when it comes to PMDD. Um, because there's a, there is an awful lot of triggers constantly and the, the, and trauma gets stuck within the body, within the nervous system. And when the nervous system is constantly activated, you're constantly getting that surge in cortisol again. And then that cortisol is then stripping out more progesterone. So it's that vicious cycle. So there's a few different areas that we have to look at. And I think it really does need to be spoken about a lot more because of the impact that it's having on people. And even in particular now, like I, before we had come on, I'd said to you how, we're in a global state of PTSD with the pandemic and PTSD is literally your nervous system activation is up here. It's chronically activated. And again, it's your cortisol and your adrenaline and noradrenaline that's been pumped out over and over again. So it's having to, to look at the nervous system and your adrenal health and trying to be somewhat compassionate and looking for help from the right people who, who can give you that help. A, a lot of, a lot of women who suffer from PMDD, so in, from women that I work with in clinic, if any of them have gone through any sort of abuse over the years, I'm like, right, you need to look at trauma work. So you need to look at the like systematic therapy and, and really focusing in on that. And then once we can get a hold or get a handle on that nervous system activation, we can then help to, to balance out those, those stress hormones in turn, the reproductive hormones. I think it's an amazing explanation of what you gave on PMDD, and I think it's an amazing explanation of what you gave on progesterone. And I think it's like Lara Bryden's analogy is like estrogen yeah. is your one that makes you kind of like Beyonce, and yeah. then it's your progesterone is your is your kind of one that chills you out, yeah. chill vibes, your yin to your yang. I think it's I think it's either Macy Hill or Lara Bryden that talks about it. I can't remember which one it is. Yeah, Lara Bryden. Yeah. Um, but it's like I don't think people realize the importance of progesterone to someone. And how they actually function in that yeah. without the calming hormone, you're not going to be a friendly person to be around. And it's, but it's also realizing that it's actually not your fault. Like and that, that's the biggest sentence. It's like, it's not your fault. Your fault. Exactly. And that, that's huge because, oh, am I going to go off on a rant? I'll try and not do it. Keep Just it. let loose. <laughs> It, oh, Shane, it drives me mad because like now, look, I've had different experiences with different men in my life um, going back from very, like I was very young when I started my my menstrual cycle. I, I was nine turning 10 when I started. So this is something I've had to deal with from primary school. I remember some of the first interactions I had around my period and the whole class found out that me and one other girl had started our periods and I can't believe I'm saying this online. Um, they nicknamed us P1 and P2. Do you remember bananas and pajamas? B1 and yeah, P2. Yeah, you want to be two? Yeah, so we were P1 and P2. But like our moods started shifting straight away. And from not being nine or 10 and having people be like, and again, this is an expression that I absolutely hate. I find it disgusting. But saying to you, oh, she's on the rag. That's why she's moody. At 10 years of age. And I'm like, back then, I didn't know how to deal with that. Now I'm like, really? I can't help this. I was like, I'm doing everything in my power to make sure that my hormones are as balanced as possible. Being 
ridiculed for having a normal female bodily function, which half the world's population have, is kind of ridiculous. And I feel, I don't, I think that I try to come at things from an empathetic approach. And over the last year in particular, because I used to be very ranty around men not understanding periods, but then I, I really had to sit down and think, well, look, they they don't have the reproductive hormones like what we have. They don't have a uterus. They don't understand it because they've never experienced it. And then it made me realize, okay, in life in general, when we as humans don't understand something, we tend to ridicule it or put it down or just knock it off because we don't understand it. And once once we get an understanding of something, there's no longer a fear around it. So when I'm talking to men, even men who are close to me, um, and there are some who to this day will still, they, they don't like to hear, it's still hushed tones. They don't want to know if I'm on my period. Um, whereas when I'm like, look, let's just talk about it. It's fine. I have my period. It's like your wife has her period. Your daughter has her period. It, it's a normal thing. Um, but no one for women that like, it's not our fault when our hormones do go haywire. Um, I, I think that's one of the biggest things that women and men need to realize is that we, if we could control it, we would, because we don't like feeling crazy. We don't like feeling like we want to throw our own heads through a wall, let alone someone else's head through a wall. It's not fun. No. And I think, I think that the the stigma is, is, is kind of getting better, but I think because like, if you look back at through like the Catholic church, it kind of only stopped ruling Ireland in like the last, I don't know, maybe even like I'm what 34 so it's kind of like has it even happened 35 years ago no no probably not Um, no I think people like like it was called like the red mist the the taboo that was out there there was so much stuff out there and it wasn't we'd spoken about but you have to realize that we're all here for because of one reason is that your mom had a cycle (laughs) and she ovulated and then stuff happened and you're here exactly and I, don't, I think people forget that. Um, yeah. Oh, that's I, it. Like, but I think like for the, like my mates find it hilarious that I, I'm like writing a book on menstrual and I talk about menstrual cycles all the time. I love it. It's, it's so refreshing to chat away to a guy who's so open to talking about periods and not saying periods and putting the head down, just actually being able to hold eye contact and say the word period. It's huge. Yeah. Like it, it, <laughs> I think it was completely accidental niche that it kind of came across, but like now it's kind of like, if it, like, as you said, like 51% of the, of the world is, is, is female. If it helps, if it helps in any way with one, with like even one person, then it, well, then it's beneficial to kind of be able to kind of talk about it. Um, you've, there's lots of myths around kind of the hormones and, and the, the, the PMS side of things that need to kind of go away. And you did a post and you did a podcast on this recently mm-hmm. as well on your own podcast. Can you kind of talk about kind of what kind of the myths that you would like to like get rid of <laughs> in, 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 in today's society? Yes. So the myths, the, the biggest one, the first one is that periods are disgusting and that periods, period blood is dirty. Again, you mentioned the Catholic Church there, and I, I don't want to be disrespectful towards anybody's faith or religion. Um, I pressing there's a big difference between religion and faith, anyway. Um, but within the the Bible, like it, it's written that if a man lays with a woman who bleeds, he he will be unclean for the next seven days, and he has to be washed and and rid of his shame. So there's, and again, this is a generational thing and it goes down to epigenetics that we as women have this innate feeling that periods are dirty and that they're shameful. Whereas, like you said, if it wasn't for periods, like there there would be no population. If there wasn't for, if it wasn't for cycles, there there would be no reproduction of of humankind. Um, So that's the first one, that periods are dirty. Um, I feel we can change that with both genders, women and men speaking to their children, speaking to their little girls and speaking to their little boys about it. Because going back to childhood, so from the ages of zero to seven, there are developmental years. And when we as little girls are, say we'll see our mothers having our periods and they're hiding it away, we automatically 
we're, we're coming to that conclusion that this is this is either dirty or it's a secret or men aren't to know about it. And then even like when women, when little girls do start their periods and not being allowed to talk about it with the men in their lives, and they see that, um, or, if the, or if the men in their lives turn around and say, oh, that's disgusting, I don't want to hear about it. What, what evident, really what you're doing is you're, you're telling a little girl who's 9, 10, 11, 12 that they're disgusting, that they are disgusting, because as children, we cannot decipher between something being disgusting and you being disgusting. We we don't know how to decipher the difference um, from a young age. We do as adults, but not as kids. So trying to pull that stigma around periods away, that it's not dirty, that it's something to talk about, that it's something to celebrate. I have two nieces. They are seven and four. They're my absolute world. And they know every time uh, I have my period and we call it the or moon time, going back to periods syncing with the moon and all that. Um, so like when they come in and if I'm, if my stomach's at me and I'm like, no, I have my moon time and they're like, oh, Auntie Orla, are you okay? What can we get you? Do you want a hot water bottle? I'm like, yeah, go be my little slaves for me. It'd be great. Um, but we talk openly about it. like, they speak openly about it with their dad. They're like, oh, Orla's on her moon time. And I'm like, I know he doesn't want to know that, but I'm not going to stop you from saying it because I don't want it to, I don't want to perpetuate the stigma around it. If, if that makes sense. And he's great. He's he's so used to it now. He's like, yeah, no problem. And I'm like, fair play to you. Um, so yeah, taking away the stigma that periods are dirty because they're not dirty. Uh, another one is that, um, again, going back to our mood. So like with PMS, a lot of people think that when you're on your period, that's when you're moody. It's not. It's the lead up. That It's the PMS where our moods start going all over the place. And that's again, down to the low progesterone and the high estrogen. And if we, if we can learn to maybe talk about it and be like, look, it's not that I'm on my period. It's that my period is coming and I don't feel myself. And I'm really trying to keep my shit together. Uh, But if we can talk about it openly without there being any judgments around it, because going back to what you said earlier is that it's not our fault. Um, if we could help it, we would. And and like that, it's like once that bleed starts, it's it's like you feel normal. I remember again with my brother-in-law, he puts up with a lot for me, but he's great. Um, he I he was in the house a few years ago and I my PMS was so bad, but I didn't even realize that it was so bad. And then I went upstairs for half an hour and I ended up getting my period and I came back down. And he just looked at me and he was like, you got your period, didn't you? And I was like, how do you know that? He goes, because you're happy again. I was like, oh, my God, was I actually that crazy? And he was like, yeah, you were. I was like, well, thanks for being supportive with me. Um, so, yeah, it's just been open to having the conversations, I think. Yeah, and I think that the, the conversations, I think it's important to like, like girls are better at talking about or, or girls, women. I don't know what term I'm allowed to use anymore. I gave an 80 for saying girls the other day. So I don't know what's going on with the world. Um, women are better at talking about things in general. But I know at a certain time of the month, a little bit more reserved can kind of come in for a lot of women. I think it's important that you guys keep talking to each other because mm-hmm. It, it the, the communication element has to be there and if you're withdrawn from your partner knowing that you have someone else there to communicate that's going through the same thing that you potentially are syncing up in general anyway if you're spending so much time together anyway yeah. that the communication element is there because if you struggle to deal with the stuff that's going on for the rest of the other time of the month and it's being kind of exacerbated around that time of the month yeah. well then at some point you're going to have to deal with your shit yeah and if you don't deal with your shit ever it's going to erupt on the volcano. I think that's essentially what's happened during the lockdown is a lot of people have like just push, 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 and everything's just erupted. And a lot of symptoms are kind of coming to the fore now of like, I'm unhappy with my career or my marriage or in general, and something has had to change, but it's having that being able to like go to counseling. Yeah. Oh yeah. Massively. It's the one thing that I advocate massively for to everyone. I'm like, there is nothing wrong with going to therapy. We all need help. And it's it's actually easier to talk to a stranger who has zero emotional attachment to you. And, and I don't mean that, I don't mean for anyone who is in therapy that their therapist isn't emotionally attached, but they- There's they, no judgment. Yeah. 
yeah, they can see things so much more clearly. Um, like it's finding the people that you can talk to, be it friends. I'm very, very lucky with the people in my life. Um, and I have a couple of friends that I I call my no bullshit friends that I know I can come and talk to. And I'm like, right, I need you to tell me, is this me or is this in my head? Or am I looking somewhere that I, I am I looking in the wrong area? And they'll tell me yes or no. And I also do therapy. Um, I advocate for therapy for everyone. I was like, I've, I've gone through different therapists over the from a young age and and I only recently started back not really I suppose I'm back in it a year now so I've done loads of different types I've done analytical I've done CBT I've done or uh yeah CBT I was about to say CBD it's like it's not CBD it's CBT <laughs> um CBT um Jungian and now I'm I'm in doing somatic therapy really working on the on the nervous system and the effects of, of trauma and it's like it it really is life-changing and I think everybody, especially now, after going through the, the last 18 months that we've had, and like you said, if you're in a career that you don't like, if you're in your, a relationship and there's problems there and you're just letting everything build up and build up and build up, it is going to be a, volcan- a volcanic eruption. Um, going to therapy during the shit times, but also during good times, because you can still get awareness from a clear perspective too. Um, just because you go to therapy doesn't mean that there's anything wrong with you. If anything, it, it shows how much courage and bravery that you have to let yourself be open and speak to someone and be vulnerable being vulnerable is one of the hardest things that we can do in life it's it's terrifying so it is to let yourself really be seen by someone it's so scary but it's the most beneficial thing that you can do for yourself most freeing thing oh my god massively it's almost like it's just the tension whatever's in your shoulders or wherever it may be it just relieves and it, it it's it's freeing it allows you to live the life that you think that you wanted in the first place if you think if you if you believe you think you had a certain life that you wanted to live yeah. and just being able to like have it on your terms as much as possible um you talk about kind of supplements as well for hormones yeah. what are the top three because i know there's so many like people could look up dr google really really quickly and kind of like right what hormones what supplements yeah. are going to be taking today but what are the top yeah. three hormone supplements for hormones that you kind of recommend with, with, with clients yeah i i hate dr google um <laughs> try to be mad um you have yourself dead and buried with dr google so there are a few supplements that are always really specific for women and their hormones um again if you're going through now look when i talk about supplements and, and foods and <clears throat> and herbs for like treatment protocols it is always very person specific yeah but with the majority of women especially if you're on any sort of birth control um, the top three supplements that you need to be on is a methylated B complex. Um, the reason for a methylated B complex is because there's five methylation stages um, of absorbing your B vitamins. So that's at its purest form. And again, if you're on the pill, the pill inhibits the absorption of your B vitamins. So you have to be taking a B vitamin supplement. The same when it comes to your um, your probiotics. <laughs> I am always kind of on the fence when it comes to probiotics. Uh, they're great for people in who have after who are after going through antibiotics or for women who are on the pill and, and all that. Um, if you are on the pill, again, the pill, the synthetic estrogen known as estradiol is quite corrosive to the gut lining. And so you, you do need to be feeding the body with good gut microbes. Um, yes, get a good quality probiotic, but also fermented foods. Um, long-term, like really, really long-term use of probiotics can inhibit your own production of good gut bacteria. So really, we want to be looking at the likes of fermented foods. So your sauerkraut, kimchi, all that. Um, and there's more uh, healthy gut microbes in the food version than there is in the supplement version. And then your body knows how to start making it again itself and then going in with the likes of prebiotic foods as well. Um then uh, your essential fatty acids. So especially with anyone with severe PMS or PMDD, you need to be getting um, your good omegas into you because studies show that a lack in or a deficiency in DHA and EPA um, is what will contribute to hormonal depression and specifically postnatal depression. So your methylated B complex, your essential fatty acids and your probiotics slash fermented foods. I think it's important to say with probiotics, it has to be the correct strain because if you're just going to the generic bought shop, bought 
stuff, it's not going to be like it, it could be lactose bacillus splinterum or it could be another one. It has to be specific to you. Yeah. Otherwise, you're just like you're literally just emptying your money into something yeah. like you, you have to go through the right one. 100 percent. And especially for women, uh, we, we do need the lactobacillus because it's really what we're seeing when it comes to candida overgrowth. So vaginal thrush, yeah. oral thrush, systemic candida. So outbra- outbreaks of, of skin, fungal, skin fungal infections is an overgrowth of candida due to a deficiency in lactobacillus. Yeah, 100%. I think that it is important. Like if you can, if you increase your veggies from other elements and fiber and stuff like that from other elements yeah. and stuff like that, look at that option first. And then if your doctor or whatever, maybe leads you down the other way of probiotics, go for probiotics, but try to yeah. do it through nutrition rather than try to through your food. Yeah, that's what I yeah. always say because people are always asking me for PMS symptoms and PMDD, what, what supplements do I need to take? You look, these are really important, but you need to be looking at your foods. You need to be looking at your liver health and your gut health. Uh, it's our liver that metabolizes our hormones, be it our stress hormones or reproductive hormones. And if you have a buildup um, of any hormone within the system and the liver is, is slugging away, trying to do its job for um, for metabolizing and for excreting uh, or for metabolizing and detoxing, it, it gets a little sluggish. And so you need to be making sure that you're taking foods that are supporting good liver detoxification and, there, and there's two pathways of detoxification within the liver um or sorry two phases so you, you need to be looking at supporting that liver function and then looking at your bowel function you need to be getting your root veggies in you need to be getting as much fiber in as you possibly can because we the, it's the liver that metabolizes and then it's the bowels we poop them out so it's literally our excess hormones are being pooped out of us um and it's, it's something that kind of in the m- most recent years in the say health and fitness industry, which kind of frustrates me is that if it fits your macros and I, and look, I get it. There's a place for it. And I understand that. And especially when it comes to fat loss and, and body composition and, and all that, but looking at say, yeah, just looking at people who, who predominantly follow that just so that they can eat, um, pizza and burgers and everything every day because it fits within their macros. I'm like, but we need to start bringing in the vegetables. We need the whole foods, the whole single ingredient foods as well, because it's our food that actually contains the vitamins and minerals. If you're absorbing your nutrients from your food, you're not going to need these supplements. I think what I always use an example with clients is like, you would see the, the, see the, the little people you're trying to feed your kids and you encourage them to eat more veggies. Yeah. yeah. Try to do it yourself. Yeah, yeah exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Um, one of the things you kind of talk about um, on one of your episodes of the podcast, I think, or I think it was your podcast, in relation to are you horny or is a lack of connection? Because I think this is where it's going to get interesting and you're probably going to see me get very awkward. Probably not as awkward as when I had Jenny Keen on talking about orgasms uh, <laughs> on the podcast. But in relation to like, are you actually horny at certain stages or is it due to lack of connection? And I think this is going to like this could kind of go one way or the other. And I think people are kind of are going to sit on one fence or they're going to sit on the other fence and it's probably the happy medium. Yeah. Um, that's, oh yeah, that was so funny. So I did that episode in lockdown one and to give it a little backstory. So during lockdown one, I, again, human behavior fascinates me i'm also a huge advocate for female pleasure and female sexual pleasure and orgasm so i will try to keep it as bland as possible um but when it came to lockdown one and like i was living alone and like my sex drive went through the absolute roof and i couldn't understand it and then but it got to a point where i was actually bored and sick of self-love and that made me really think, I was like, right, why am I getting, I was like, my libido is through the roof, but I actually don't want to pleasure myself right now because I'm, I'm sick of it. It's not giving me what it is that I need anymore. So I decided to do a social experiment um, and I went on Tinder. And if anyone who took part in that social experiment, I'm very grateful for your feedback. Um, so I went on Tinder and I swiped every guy. And for every guy that I matched with, I told them, I was like, this is a social experiment. I want to try to understand what we are where we're at as human beings right now when it comes to connection so I asked a few questions one 
did you join Tinder before lockdown or during lockdown? Two, are you looking for the hookup? Three, are you looking to actually just connect and talk with someone? And the majority came back saying that they had never been on Tinder before, that they just joined it during lockdown, even though we were meant to be socially distanced. Um, and two, that they they were just so lonely. But it made me realize that in life in general, that, and look, there's nothing wrong with, I'm like I said, I'm a huge advocate for female pleasure and sexual pleasure, that it's something that we really need to, to nurture instead of shaming, because there's still the stigma around women being able to have sex versus men being able to have sex. If men, goes out, if men go out and um, have sex with loads of different women, they're the hero. If women do it, they're still the slut. And it's like, we really need to try to bridge that gap. But uh, when it came to during the lockdown, it made me realize that in life, we it's not that we're going out doing hookups for the pure, purely just for the sexual release and sexual pleasure. It's that we are we're missing that connection with people. And that's why you'll see with a lot of people who have sex addictions is that they will go and go and go um, be it with porn, be it with prostitutes, be it with just any random person. Um, the reason it becomes more addictive is because they're not actually getting what it is that they really need, which is the the actual emotional connection and the emotional intimacy. As humans, we thrive off intimacy and human connection and being in a tribe. Uh, and when we're lacking that, we 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 try to hide it, not even hide it. We, we tend to suppress it with many different variations, various different addictions, be it drugs, alcohol, sex, um, masturbation. Um, like it, it, these can all become addictions. So what I realized during lockdown from my own sex drive going through the roof and being bored of self-love, I was like, it's actually human connection that I'm lacking. And what a lot of the people who I matched with on Tinder they were the same. It was that they just missed human contact and feeling connected with another person. Um, so, yeah, so going between that and then bringing it back to hormones, it, it's it's another thing because as women, our libidos go up like before our ovulation. Yeah, there's there's the peaks and troughs um, and it, it's coming. It's in our follicular phase where our, our, our sex drives go through the roof. Uh, thanks to Eastern testosterone, which is brilliant. Um, but it's our body's way of signal, signaling it, it. It's time to procreate. It's time to reproduce, um, which is great. And then there's the pheromone aspect then between men and women too. Um, they say, not they say, this is actually proven. Um, we, for women who are on hormonal birth control, they're, they're not actually picking their partners from a chemical, from a chemical level. Um, when you're on hormonal birth control, you're in a chronic luteal phase. When you're in your luteal phase, you're more attracted to, say, quote unquote, the stable man, the man who will provide financially and support you and the, the child and whatever. When we're in our follicular phase coming up to ovulation, we're actually more attracted to your typical, quote unquote, alpha male. Um, it's, it's the one, yeah, which is terrible. Like, but it, it's the genetics. It's those strong genetics that our bodies are craving. Um, so that's why we tend to be more attracted to again those alpha male type guys um it's it, for survival of the, survival of the species but the, the strongest of the species get the good genetics in it's nice segue on to the, the the main topic that we're going to talk about which is the the pill and stuff like that um because i know i've had ashing o'kelly um oh, yeah. okay yeah, so she's she's incredible. Um, and she was on talking about birth control and the the, mm -hmm. the various different types and the di various different uh, side of things. And I know the, the the birth birth control in general can can get a, an unfair rep. And uh, mm -hmm. like, there's obviously a time and a place where women need the pill, and there's yeah. times where they don't need the pill. And it's understanding where you're falling into that certain bracket, and understanding that it is your choice, and no one can make you do anything. That you don't yeah. want to do or want to do it's completely it's your body you own it no one else owns it which is the biggest caveat i have to put out because i'm a man and i can get attacked for not understanding the psychological stuff from women that that is the biggest thing um so i'm going to ask you for what is some of the advice that you would give to someone who is looking to come off the pill like what should they expect 
when they kind of come off the pill. Obviously, it depends on what pill it is. Yeah. Um, so whenever I have clients come into me in clinic and want to come off the pill, I always do a, a background with them first. And because I need to know how their periods were before they went on the pill. Um, because usually what we would expect is to have your periods revert back to how they were pre-pill. So if you're somebody who did have a regular periods, who did have a regular cycles and did did have um, the likes of dysmenorrhea or amenorrhea, either or, be wary that that is what we could be going back to. Um, for anyone who didn't have any, say, gynecological problems before going on the pill, it may come back. Um, you may start ovulating straight away. Um, we don't know. The problem is with the pill is that it switches off your hypothalamic function and it's within the hypothalamus where your your reproductive um, hormones as well as your stress hormones are, are that's the, the start of the signaling. Um, once hy- the hypothalamic function is switched off, once ov- your ovulatory function is switched off, we don't know how it's going to revert back until you come off the pill. And one thing I always say is everybody's body is different. Nobody, there's no two people with the exact same chemical makeup within their bodies. So we don't fully know until you come off the pill, but to always expect it to revert back to how it was pre-pill. Then when you do come off the pill, it's kind of having an exit strategy. Um, so supporting the body for a good four months, four months before coming off it, but then it can take anywhere from four to 18 months for your ovulatory cycle to actually balance out again naturally. What happens then when you do come off the pill is that typically what we we see is between months four and six post pill is that there's a surge in androgens. So your, your male sex hormones, and that's when we can, so for any woman who's has gone on the pill for skin conditions, you would be expect between months four and six that there's going to be a surge and there's going to be an outbreak, um, especially along the the jawline, chest, back areas. These are all the the indicators for high testosterone and high androgen levels. Um, but then you can support the system with that. Again, I spoke earlier about when it comes to hormone health, it's liver and bowel function. So it's make sure that making sure that you're eating the right foods. So all your dark leafy greens, your walnuts, avocados then foods that are really rich in zinc because zinc is is needed for ovulatory function. So the likes of your pumpkin seeds. And then again, making sure that you you have enough fiber for the for the body to be able to pull out these excess hormones. Um, supplement wise, again, anyone who has been on the pill, you really need to be looking at the likes of methylated B complex, uh, zinc again for ovulatory function. Like it's studies say, it's we're looking at 30 milligrams of zinc a day, which is higher than the recommended daily allowance. But post pill, your body would be somewhat depleted in it. But then also being mindful of the imbalances with, with other minerals, with the likes of your zinc and your copper. Um, so zinc can inhibit your, your, your or sorry, copper can inhibit your, your zinc and zinc can also inhibit your copper. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, so looking at at that, just making sure that the body is able to process everything that you are putting into it. But yeah, your methylated B complex, your your zinc, your essential fatty acids, and again, your your probiotic, but mainly your your probiotic foods. I prefer the probiotic food than than the supplements itself. Um, and getting a support, like for me as a herbalist, like I'm always going to the herbs in my head. So like all the, the likes of the hormone modulators. And I love herbal medicine, but a lot of people think that just because it's natural, it doesn't have any say negative side effects. They do. Anything that has any physiological response in the body can have a positive or a negative physiological response in the body. So never go self-prescribing, especially with herbs. But there are certain hormone modulators that can help kick the hypothalamic function back into action that little bit quicker, specifically the likes of Vitex Agnus Castus that works directly on the hypothalamic hypothalamus. Great for PMS as well. Sorry. It's great for PMS as well. It's phenomenal. That's our main go-to when it comes to any sort of hormone imbalances is Vitex. Um, So yeah, we have Vitex, we have ladies mantle, we have black cohosh, but again, a lot of these, herbs can be um like black ohosh is restricted like only a herbalist or a doctor can prescribe yeah. black um i know in relation to kind of like what alternative methods can kind of people use like if, if someone doesn't necessarily want to go on the pill um mm-hmm. 
what alternative methods could someone like it's obviously the the, the, the woman's choice or the partner's uh, conversation it has input as well but the, it's ultimately the, the woman's final choice what alternative methods can be used if if the woman doesn't want to go on on the actual pill yeah so there there are many different other ones um so again for women who do want to have that little bit of kind of um protection safety net feeling yeah um there there is the copper coil now the copper coil it's non-hormonal but uh copper in itself does have its its own side effects so like with the copper coil it'll you will have um worse periods they'll be heavier they'll be more painful uh the reason for this is that the copper is causing an inflammatory response within the uterus um so it's been mindful of that so if you're someone who already has heavy and painful periods I would veer away from it. Then there's the FAM method. So it's basically like the rhythm method. You're you're tracking your cycle throughout the month. You're taking your temperature. I personally use what's called natural cycles. It's an app. You get a thermometer sent out. You take your temperature every morning and your temperature rises between 0.3 to 0.6 of a degree post ovulation. But then it's also looking at the your body fu- your bodily functions coming up to ovulation. So within your, your follicular phase, the likes of um, your cervical mucus secretions. So it's um, do you know when you crack an egg and you have the egg white, the raw egg white, that's the cervical mucus really that you're looking for around your peak fertile days. Then uh, the likes of your libido going up, like your libido going up is that's your key indicator that you're, you will be ovulating soon. So then no one either to use another barrier method, be it a condom or a female condom or diaphragm, whatever it is that you want to use. Um, but the main the, the main two methods really would be the likes of your copper coil or your fan method. I actually only read uh, recently around the pullout method and how from the, now again, very, very small studies, early studies, because they've never actually had to study it before. Um, but so far they are looking at 96%, um, 96% uh, success rate when used effectively. Um, but then again, like, again, there are more studies got to do around with the likes of is there sperm in what's known that's, as the that's the thing. It's like, if, if, if you're having like two or three sessions of sex in a night and the man hasn't, uh, put on a condom or anything like that, and he's in the pull. I met, then he goes back in. It like there could there, be some sort of element of discharge still left in, yeah. and pregnancy still may occur. So yeah, exactly. people. I don't think a lot of lads realize that. I know there's so many that don't because I've had conversations with friends and they were like, "Yeah, but I pulled out," and I'm like, "Really? Yeah, well, you put back in exactly." <laughs> exactly i was like this whole pull out thing it no it doesn't it's you have to be mindful of yeah everything that you have to do around it um but yeah there's a lot there's there's still a lot of men out there who think that the pull out method is 100 effective and no contraception is 100 no. effective none is on well, yeah. actually unless uh, abstaining but that's not fun no that's not that doesn't sound like a crack so no thanks <laughs> uh, no I, I always think of the thing in friends when joey kind of talks about it and he, he gets the condoms and he reads the label and it's like only 98 percent effective and effective he's like oh shit uh because yeah. he was leaving with so many women like i don't think people realize that there still is a, this it could split it could be a hole it could whatever maybe in yeah. that if there was kind of like one kind of like method of contraception that will kind of or pill um that would be more beneficial than the other or out of the other ones what would be kind of the one that you would kind of go to obviously it depends on the woman's symptoms obviously yeah and that's it. it depends on the woman's symptoms and if they don't have any gynecological issues um out of all the birth control methods well out of all the hormonal birth control methods uh the only one that you will stay ovulating on is the marina coil so that's the only one where you will still ovulate and ovulation is important for many other functions as well so that if you wanted to keep your hypothalamic function as up to scratch as possible maybe looking at that um and again if you are using hormonal birth controls purely for birth control and not for um say quote unquote fixing a gynecological problem or balancing your hormones because unfortunately they don't balance them they just switch off your auditory function they switch off your your natural like a light switch yeah that's it um so yeah if if you don't have any problem if you're going on a purity for contraception um maybe try the marina coil or else the 
I, I don't like the progestin only pills. They no. seem to have a lot more side effects than the combination pills. Um, but yeah, again, it's all very person dependent because if you suffer from migraines, you have to go on the progestin only one. Yeah, no, and exactly like as Orla has just said, it has to be, it is person dependent, but it is important to be able to go to a doctor or talk to and get that kind of stuff sorted and talking to someone that is giving you the correct information yeah. they'll give you all the information and then it's up to you to make the decision the doctor shouldn't be pushing no. their no. thing onto you and i think that's what's kind of happened i think that is a frustration of mine like i've had an awful lot of girls due to stress and loads of different things and extreme diets and all that kind of stuff with ha or hypothetic amenorrhea and we had sarah liz liz king on you know where I'm going with this sentence, don't you? Yeah. And the pill is been prescribed. Yeah. I'm going to go on the record now. The, the using the pill to sort out hypothetical menorrhea is like using a fucking carrot to start a car. It's not going to sort the issue. Thank you. Thank it's not you. going to sort the issue. It's not. it's not. When it comes to HA, HA is so complex and so person dependent. But going on the pill it's not giving you back your periods because it's not really a period that you're getting. It's withdrawal bleed. bleed. Exactly. It's, no. it's so not like fixing. it has to be something. And the thing is like, it's not, a, it's not a critique towards the, the medical professionals at all. They're there to do a job and to sort something out as soon as possible. Mm-hmm. But if you're looking for the long-term solution, the long-term solution may not may be a long and winding road if you have someone who haven't hasn't cycled for a very long time and if you haven't had a cycle before you've gone on the period and then you come off the period well then it could be a longer road than you you think and it's important to listen to back to what orla has just suggested it's important to listen to back to the episode with sarah liz king he talks about ha in so much detail but it's also realizing that you have to get enough energy and nutrients and fuel your body which is the hardest part because unfortunately many girls with ha are coming from an eating disorder background and that's the hardest part is like the brain will be like no i'm gaining weight but you have to think about what's if you want to have kids down the line yeah and that's it that's the most heartbreaking thing for me <clears throat> like i i've worked with a lot of women with ha as well and it, it's it's really breaking through that psychological barrier of i'm gaining weight i'm gaining weight yeah. and so they when it comes to ha i'm like you have to you have to have minimum to like really we'd be looking up at around 2300 2500 calories maintenance for some as well like so like the two and a half thousand may not be the 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 secret remedy it could have to be more depending on where the girl's coming from exactly and then but unfortunately we have a lot of women who are eating anywhere from 1300 to 1800 calories but then they're they're training on top of it so hard and i'm like you have to pick, you, you, you really have to get to a point where is it that you want to get your cycles back or that you want to be lean? And I completely understand. And it is coming from an eating disorder background for the majority of women who have HA. And there, there's a lot of, there's a lot of psychological work that has to be done underneath that. There's a lot of emotional support and a lot of self-worth uh, work that really has to be done um when it comes to ha yeah the self-worth stuff is the hardest part because you're kind of like you've been brought up in a society where like in magazines and social media now particularly that the people you see again are the most likes or most interactions on their social media are the ones who look a certain way yeah they're getting they're getting validation they're getting this dopamine hit and then you're brought up that way you're tra- you're getting you're triggering yourself you're looking at social media and the first thing you see in the morning is someone with big glutes and lean stomach and the last thing at night you're looking at someone with big glutes and lean stomach no wonder your mind is kind of like confused with what's going on yeah. but for your overall health over a long term you have to say right if i want to have kids down the line with your partner or it's a complete choice if you want to have kids or not yeah. you're going to have to say to yourself right i need to get my hormones back your hormones are the ones that are the most healthy things about you and you need to get them back to the most natural things are given to you for a reason. Exactly. Exactly. And the fact that if you've lost your periods and they've been gone for a few years, um, like that's a sign that you, your body isn't in its most healthy state. Um, like we are meant to have our periods. We are meant to have a menstrual cycle. We are meant to ovulate. And um, when we lose them, it's, it is a key indicator that there is something bigger going on. Um, 
And I don't want to dishearten any woman either because, look, it it can be a bit of a, a it's not a quick fix. HAA is not a quick fix. It, no. it can take time. And you really do have to kind of persevere and, and push through. But it's so worth it because Shane, like women, or Shane, the women who I worked with and when I, it's not even a text message. It's a voice note with them screaming down the phone. Yeah. When, I'm they, when they have to, when they get the third back, it yeah. generally is the best feeling in the world. And we've had, so Dallas does work with them and Jane does work with clients that have lost their cycle as well. And when you get that message in the kind of like the coach's WhatsApp group of someone who has never, hasn't had a cycle in about eight, 10 years. I think we've had about eight yeah. uh, clients during lockdowns yeah. who haven't had clients who haven't had cycles between six to ten years yeah. and there's eight new babies going to be born in the next six months oh i love that so that's that's what that's why i love there's times i want to strangle people but yeah. then the times <laughs> i'm like that's that's why that's why we do this and yeah. it's kind of like but they have been willing to do the work on the psychological stuff or potentially with someone else we've got dallas who's qualified in cbt yeah We've also got Jane who has lost her cycle through other eating issues. And so she has that wealth of knowledge that she's able yeah. to apply it, but she's staying in her lane obviously at the same time. But it's outsourcing to the right people. Exactly. Being able to say, it's not your fault for this either. It's, no, it's great. And that's and, and I think that has to be the mess. That seems to be coming up as the message of the episode unintentionally. Um, but I think like if someone has come off if someone hasn't had a cycle through under eating or over exercising and they go off the pill and they want to get pregnant, my advice would be to work with someone. Do not go it alone. Now is not the time to, if you are working with a coach, to go cold turkey. You may feel like you can do it on your own or you may feel like you're getting these symptoms after coming off the pill after a couple of weeks. But that's kind of like the key to trying to rev, rev the engine. And it's probably kind of the hormones kind of coming back with a vengeance but it's not going to be the full engine. The engine's not going to turn over and the engine's not going to be able to kick on. You, know, you, you need that help. Like when we're looking at, again, like I said earlier on, when we're looking at the endocrine system, it's like the labyrinth and it's like David Bowie is in there and he's throwing the curveballs left, right and center. And it's it needs help. Your, your endocrine system needs help, especially when you haven't had a period for six, 10 years. Um, and, and as well, everybody needs help. There's not one person on this planet that doesn't need help in one way, shape or form, be it physically or emotionally. So uh, what I will say to women who do have HA and who are looking to get their cycles back is to to seek the help. Find the professionals who can help you physically and also find the professionals who can help you mentally and emotionally, too. Um, You you will actually be forever grateful. Also being patient. Yeah, a lot of patience. Having patience, and I think yeah, just have Gary Barlow patience on repeat, and that will help you a lot. Yeah, you have oh, to be patient. Like if it hasn't, if it wasn't there before, and and you're trying to get it back, it can take a time, and you may start to feel a little bit more uncomfortable in your clothes. Especially if you if your dieting has been your mentality, and for women in particular, dieting is unfortunately a mentality that is out there. I think it's the the strong women thing movement, which is incredible, is kind of coming in now. It's going to take a long time to kind of uh, get get rid of the other side of things. But if you if you're coming from a severe dieting background, if you've been dieting for twenty years and you're starting to try having the kids now and you haven't had a cycle, work with someone, talk to someone. If you go to the doctor and the doctor says, "Here's a pill," throw the pill back at the doctor. And walk yeah. out the room and get a different opinion. And that and that's not a that's not a dig at doctors and stuff. I've just it's just it's frustrating when clients you send the client to the doctor and the first thing the doctor is, I'm not gonna check your hormones one. Yeah. And I'm gonna put you on the pill too. And you're kind of like, well, neither of those solutions are gonna do anything for that woman that is sitting in front of you. They're literally you want them out the door so you can get the next 60 quid in your pocket. Yeah, and it's it is frustrating, and especially in your line of work, in my line of work. And one thing I've seen is that, like, I think it's unfortunately, it's the way that they're trained. They they are trained purely with symptomatic treatment. So here's the problem. Here's the quote unquote fix. They're like mechanics, yes. or not mechanics. They're kind of like engineers. They can solve the problem, but they may not be able to get bring in the other element. Exactly. Whereas it's really having to get into the underlying cause. And then that's what's really going to, again, quote unquote, fix an issue when you can get to the root cause of it. 
yeah uh well i can chat all day about all this kind of stuff i really really could and um it's been incredible to time like the, the i think the, the the bit for me was the, the the fascinating part was the the, the social experiment you did on tinder <laughs> i think that a lot of people are going to break up to that but i think the the, the pmdd advice i think is going to help an awful lot of people the the pms stuff the pale side of stuff the lack of connection and being able to show that empathy towards yourself i think the empathy um connection and knowing it's not your fault are Mm -hmm. kind of like the three main methods that have kind of come through the kind of the theme of the episode where can people find out about yourself on socials and your podcast and where can people work with you as well orla yeah so i um so my handles are different on instagram and facebook brian will kill me for that because I still haven't changed it anyway um so Instagram it's Orla underscore naturopath underscore herbalist and Facebook it's Orla Flaherty naturopath and herbalist uh I have my podcast which is Orla's happy hormones you can find it on iTunes and uh, my website as well which is orlaoflaherty.com and so I work one-on-one with women but I also do online courses online women well women's wellness courses which go through everything from hormones to mind body soul um just really bringing all elements of life into help balance out hormones um so my next one is running in january for that amazing so guys i'm going to put all the links into like the the show notes and stuff like that so if you want to work with oil or pop or a dm or just kind of have a chat with her anyway um and or book a book a session with her or listen to her podcast so you can kind of get a better understanding of where oil is coming from please do or i cannot thank you enough for for coming on and giving up so much of your time thank you so much for having me on i've had an absolute ball and it's been a pleasure actually talking to a man uh, who's so open when it comes to periods and menstrual cycles and wanting to understand it more um i think for me as a woman it's it's really refreshing and it's really nice to actually be able to do that so thank you thank you very much